I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Donner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. I want to talk before I bring on my guest today about relationships and romance. After reading his story, which you will love, it made me look within at all of my relationships and how I view the word romance. Then I looked up the definition of romance, and it means a quality or feeling of mystery, excitement, and remoteness from everyday life. Isn't that how you want to live each moment of your life in romance? I sure do, and have it as my intention as I begin each day. Now I can say my intention for the day is to live in a state of romance. How beautiful is that? Can you imagine our entire universe thinking that way and realizing that if is really why we chose to be here so we could discover romance and live in that state each and every moment of the day? As far as our relationships go, the word romance can be intertwined in each one, even if it's not a love romantic relationship. It can be all of our relationships. I know today, after you listen to my guest, David Brower, you will take on a whole new appreciation for not only romance, but the way you look at your relationships. Before we get started, let me give you a little bit of David's background. David Charles Brower spends his life searching for love and creating abundant sensorial experiences everywhere he goes wherever and whomever he finds himself with. As the sensorial guy and inspired by his own romantic personality, he inspires others globally to connect to each other in meaningful ways, to find useful joy in every day, create moments of romance daily, and find pleasure in the small details and nuances of life. To seek relentlessly, to infuse pleasure with purpose, sometimes a tad mischievously too. Always from his intensively creative perspective, David expresses his love for life through writing poetry, dancing, creating delicious meals in his professional home kitchen, gathering and hosting people, and helping others transform the state as a storyteller. His former work experience was in world-class international entertainment and cinema for over 20 years, which has also shaped his love for the creative process and people and their stories, laying the foundation for his next adventure in love, writing his first short story, Dance of the Love Caterpillars, is a number one best-selling romantic love story between two caterpillars that is aimed at romantics of all ages. Just learning about David thus far has given me a new way of looking at life. And I know once we get started with this interview, it will open up so many new ways to look within and create a desire to manifest 
romance in every area of your life. So without further ado, please welcome David Brower to the show. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me, Ashley. This is beautiful. You're welcome. And where you're sitting is beautiful. So it's fun to even (laughs) sit here and look at you. But, you know, I always think when people are led to me in some way or people that I meet, there's no accidents. It's all the, you know, synchro destiny moments, right? And when I got your email with your video and you're in Paris and I'm listening to you going, wow. And you were talking about my 50th episode. And I'm like, someone in Paris listened to my podcast? Like, wow, <laughs> that's really what I thought. I thought, wow, that's crazy. A year ago, and you know, that would never have been something. But I, you know, took this leap of faith and listened to my, what was going on in my mind, my intuition, my inner voice. And started this. And now I have you, this beautiful story I've learned about you and that I can't wait to share with everyone. And I started off the intro with romance and that I did the, um, you know, in relationships and learning about your, your mission and what you've really discovered in life is just fascinating. And I think, you know, this is kind of a different subject that I've not, it, but it all ties in together, you know? And so looking at life with romance in my mind now is a whole different way. And I thank you for that. Cause that's like, that's a gift that I had today by understanding that and, you know, reading your website and your story, but you know, this is podcast is called uncover your magic. And I feel that when I read your aha moments and I love that, and I want to go through those, but when I read your aha moments and you did the school and I relate so much to that because I did that too, because that's what we're supposed to do, or that's what, you know, the thing that we do next in life. And so will you go down that, just kind of start where you felt that your magic moment was and how you kind of discovered this whole life that you live now in Paris? Like it's a beautiful story and how you were, your background is in cinema and all that stuff in LA. So yeah. wherever you want to start, David, it's all you. Gosh. <laughs> Uh, cut me off because this is going to get long. <laughs> yeah. Not so long. Um, that's funny, right? Um, Our stories get longer. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, no. Well, I've been in Paris for 30 years. Wow. So it's quite quite a stretch there, right? Obviously more time than I uh, was where I grew up in, in Beverly Hills. And so, so, yeah, I mean, one day after I failed horribly on the LSAT, LSAT, uh, to get into law school after studying political science at UCLA, uh, I realized that doing so horribly in that test that you know, my soul did not want to become a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I was just going with the flow and I was kind of just you know, fleeing what, I, what maybe I wanted to do, something related in the entertainment field, surely, because both my parents on the business side and on the uh, theatrical side were in, uh, were in that business. And so I grew oh, up in that. Uh, but I just, I, I was just too sensitive a kid, I think, and too, to uh, had my own sort of own hangups at the time, obviously, and I couldn't really get over those. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I fled sort of following the, either of those paths on the performer or the kind of business side and, you know, started to study political science. Probably the only reason was because it's so easy to just create arguments and just argue them. I mean, Politics has got to be the most creative thing there is, right? Oh, funny. No kidding. <laughs> so uh, I would just, you know, do that and come up with arguments, and I did, I did okay that way. But then when it came to getting into, you know, debate 
debates or confrontational stuff that is lawyerly like stuff, you know, that stuff I didn't really like too much and way too much intellectual, you know, retention. All these facts, all these facts. I'm like, what am I going to do? I would like stay up all night and then do the test and then I'd forget everything. Right. Horrible way to, to uh, go through school, but I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. No, you're not. <laughs> anyway, three, three weeks after I got out of college, I was on a plane flying to Paris. And I came to Paris because I had an opportunity through my dad, who had a, a former lawyer contact, who had attempted to help him get a script to Simone de Beauvoir about her love affair with Jean-Paul Sartre, the huh. great philosopher. And my dad had a script around this. And so he found a lawyer who would take it there. So anyway, that was what turned me to go to Paris instead of going maybe to Spain. And I arrived there and knew nobody. I had a mailboy job for three months with this lawyer. That was it. Right. And from there, I found another opportunity. And what turned out to be a moment of just staying for, you know, a year uh, turned out to be I'm still, you know, here 30 years later and obviously found a path and a, and a life uh, that was to my uh, liking and loving, uh, obviously. So, so yeah, more or less, that was that. I, I went back into the entertainment business here on the, let's say, the business side, uh, working for, you know, giants like Disney and, and also IMAX. Oh, fun. And really enjoyed that. And then about eight years ago, I decided to, to jump and kind of consider that part of my life, you know, taken care of and wanted to get back to something more creative, more human, more connective, uh, more, more in the emotional realm and energetic realm and, and find my way uh, through that. And so the last eight years have been a, a mix of different adventures within that space from creating Sensorial Experience Day, which is this day, which is a mix of unbelievably gorgeous luxury food and also uh, live performers some speakers potentially, and, you know, this incredible uh, mindfulness activity that kind of happens naturally through the pleasurable experience that we all have together. So, and I've done that in France, and the United States, and LA, San Diego, Boulder, Austin, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, and and got into life coaching to help high performer, ambitious people. Uh, um, I did some stuff early on with Brendan Burchard. He was one of the first coaches actually that graduated from his high performance academy and then from there went on to do my my own thing uh, to work uh, with people and overall to bring these live events and this this perspective and that's what's led me to creating what I call a lifefulness on one side and on the other side sensorial intelligence uh, a way of coming to our senses and living a life that's pleasurable but that's overlapped with purpose and it, that goes back and forth and that's really for me that's the performant life I want to lead. And so, so yeah, and then romance came into this story, which is obviously all related because I had a, the unfortunate passing of my wife in June of 2019 after 27 years of marriage. And to get over and through that, I actually wrote this story to remind me about um, loving life again and trusting life and believing in serendipity and to remind me to you know, savor, savor the moments of life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really, we just never know what tomorrow will be, good, bad, or ugly. Right. And Okay, you've done fast forward. Okay, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute, mister. Okay, so I've got the gist, but I have to go back because 
here you are 30 years into Paris, eight years ago, you decide to go on this mindfulness journey and stop the movie stuff, right? And what you came to, but you worked as a male person for the attorney for three years. You don't know a language. You're in some foreign country. Mm-hmm. To explain to me, like, because I want people to understand why are you where you are now? Because you mm-hmm. you did kind of follow the things that you were supposed to do. And you felt like you maybe in your heart, it wasn't your passion, but you just felt like you had to do it anyway. I'm just getting what I'm reading from that story that you just told me because you did pretty good for a long story. You did a good job at getting it all out. Cause I said, wait, wait. But when you think about, you know, someone that's on a journey, that's still not living their mm-hmm. passion, you know, but you're still doing it because you feel like, well, that, you know, I went to school and that's what my dad did. I followed, but I relate to that. And I, that's why I'm saying that because I so much yeah. raising two daughters, I want them to have, there's clarity and there's something inside of your soul that's speaking to you and to listen and to know that you are going to take these steps because it's your, your, you know, you're going to find your purpose and your, you know, your passion and you're going to find this part of your life. But to know that as a younger person, like, wouldn't you go back to your 18 year old self? What would you give your advice to that person? What as now before we continue, but wouldn't you give some advice before you went into UCLA or would you do that again? I'd say it's a hard way to go back. I mean, I guess at every point we could probably go back a little bit farther than that. I mean, I, the greatest thing that served me in life is, is roaming and exploring and adventuring and going out of my comfort zone geographically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the way that I travel and everything has been the greatest teacher for me. So for me, it's for everybody, go, go travel, but don't go travel comfortably and experiment with things that push you out of your comfort zone. And, you know, or I should say in both a way that's pleasurable, but also maybe that's a little bit uh, painful. And little by little, you first of all, you start to discover what you really enjoy, who you are, how you are in certain activities or, or things. And you allow yourself the opportunity to really follow your heart and your soul, uh, you know, if you let yourself roam. And mm-hmm. I've always believed that by doing so, this is kind of the hero's journey, right? You go on your own path, you're creating your own path, it's no one else's. But the only way you can go and do that is if you let yourself go. I knew nobody in France when I came here. I had to create a whole life. I didn't learn a language, right? I hardly spoke the language. I'd had two semesters in college. I'm pretty good with languages. I spoke Spanish before, and I'm just my mom spoke five languages, and but still, you know, very significant culture. I mean, there's lots of significant cultures, but French culture is pretty. You know, it's not you know, very light. Uh, There's a lot there, right? Right. Um, Whether it's around food, uh, whether it's around male-female relationships, whether it's around the history and the arts, just like so many things uh, going on. So yeah, I would say the main thing is let yourself roam and explore and go out of your uh, comfort zone. You know, I have a friend who's my age now, went to high school with, who went and became a lawyer. So Mm -hmm. he went that past. And like two years ago or something, he's like, his partners are pushing him to go on holiday because he's never, and this is like, for me, this is like, this is not possible. He's <laughs> never taken a holiday. Wow. Wow. Okay? So they're pushing him to take a holiday. He goes and does some silly thing like going to some five-star resort or whatever in Mexico. And he lays on a, 
a, be, a pool chair and reads a book or something. And, you know, there's the buffet and whatever. And he comes back like a week early. And like mm-hmm. on Facebook, worst idea ever. Huh. It's like, you know, how can we be wow. so uncreative? I give you free time and you consider this is how you, there's a million ways to right. use your time to explore what you're passionate about and to pattern break yourself. If mm-hmm. you go long enough, so you get out of the conditioning and the voices in your head of your parents and the societal environment that you're used to, where you're looking at me, it was, you know, in Beverly Hills, 16 year olds driving Lamborghinis and Ferraris to school. And I didn't even have a car. Right. Uh, huh. So, you know, getting yourself out of this environment that you think defines what your life and your world is mm-hmm. by traveling is a phenomenally amazing thing. And as you learn to trust your instincts and you learn to explore things and use your senses and like a way outside of what you're used to, because it's so different. I mean, traveling to India is like such an insane paradigm shift right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, life seems like a, like a flat square and you go to India and I it's just like this multifaceted dome uh, that, you know, gyrates in colors and goes, there. I mean, oh, there's neat. so much going on there. There's so much stimulation and, and difference. And by learning about what else is out there in the world, you realize how unique your life can be. Right. Now, I, I, another small story is, you know, like after my first three months in in arriving in France, I did a tour around with some friends who came over and I find myself alone afterwards in a city in Spain called Ronda, R-H-O-N-D-A. Mm-hmm. It's a medieval city, beautiful ravine with a waterfall, etc. And I went to go dancing. I'm like, you know, I'm all alone. Let's go dancing. Come on. So I go out one night and I go into a nightclub. And when I go underneath, uh, there's Spanish music. And I spend two hours straight dancing to only Spanish music. Right. I've never heard in my life. Everyone knows the words to like every song. Oh, funny. And it was like this unbelievable cold shower culture shock to say there are other whole worlds out there. Right. And so there are other whole worlds in so many ways. I mean, probably in the neighborhood right next year's there's a whole new world already, right? I know, isn't that fun? Yeah, so true. Where did you so meet your wife? Exploring. She was actually one of my students when I students. taught. I, I taught English after the law firm job uh, at one of the one of the top school in Paris called the Wall Street Institute. And so I would go to the big advertising firms and teach people to speak and present in English. And it was an incredibly beautiful period because most of the people canceled the <laughs> the lessons oh, and my company still got paid because it was within the same day or something because they were so busy, these people. They didn't really care about learning English too much. And so I would have a lot of free time. And so it was brilliant when I was learning language and many people. And then the other side, it was you know amazing to be able to sit down with really interesting people and you know speak in English and kind of do that. And so one of my students uh, was my future spouse. Huh. Yeah. Neat. And you were married for 27 years. 27 years. That's right. Wow. Amazing. So you ma- married right away because we're probably the same age. Yeah. We married uh, a year after I arrived. Yeah. Okay. And so you go on this journey. So I'm, my point is I'm trying to figure out when you 
eight years ago where that shift was like, why did, and I want to also talk about the word romance, because when I watched your video on one of your, um, I think it was some, a website about everyone describing romance different. And that's, you know, I never have looked at it that way. And then when I looked the definition up, I was like, huh, you know, what if you woke up every day and wanted to live in romance? You know, it doesn't have to be the, the love, love, you know, with your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, but, you know, lived in life that way, you know, and how wake up and I always, it's like living in that place of what can I give? Who can I be? Who can I love? You know, like every part of your day should be living in romance. And I'm going to use that word all the time now. Thank you. And I'm going to say, oh, David Brower, thank you for that word. (laughs) (laughs) But how do you get to, and then I see your picture with Brendan Bouchard. I'm like, okay, wait, like, and then I see these aha moments. So Mm -hmm. I feel like what built you up to that point where you said, now I'm going to start doing this discovery of the sensorial guy. Yeah, I mean, when I jumped and left the entertainment world, I really opened up my blinders and said, this is the greatest opportunity in my life. And I'm going to, again, let myself roam and explore. And so I did that. And part of it was going into, you know, this high performance coaching world to explore that, which I um, spent some time. And other parts of it were to explore in the startup world around food. I was, you know, I'm very much involved in cooking and hosting people around food, even my live events, food is a key component actually of the event. And obviously Mm -hmm. I live in Paris and the food is absolutely stunning here. The cliche is true, but there's so much that happens around food that in my experience here has been such a, such a remarkable, really a paradigm shift in how I experience life and what is of value to me and how I interact with people and how you transmit love through food and hosting people. And the dynamics of what can happen sitting around a table is the most entertaining thing there is, as far as I'm concerned, really. Like like sitting around a dinner table that's well kind of guided, that's well kind of, you know, poked at like a fire to keep it kind of going and to shift the energy from one person to another. I mean, it's a real... It's a real art of hospitality mm-hmm. and a divine moment of pleasure that can also have musical aspects or how you define and create what happens around the table creates the life that you lead. Right. And I, I recognized that. that and wanted to do stuff in the startup world. It was kind of like an Airbnb of people going to eat at people's houses and it already existed and it didn't end oh. up working out. And actually it's called Visite is the big one, I think, today. Anyway, so, you know, I was just felt the power of actually doing things around the table. So when I was doing sort of the hardcore coaching thing, I felt it to be too, too rational, too masculine, perhaps not that fun, really. Right. <laughs> not that creative, sens- sensuous, not that creative, but that's a very, that's a very unfair way I would say to probably talk about that, but the way that I would interpret. Yeah. That's what I'm getting you know, from you. Cause you have yeah. that creative, like you love the, you like the senses, like you love to experience everything. Right. Yeah, that's it, why it kind of got too masculine. I get that. Yeah, And it got a little bit too hardcore, a little bit too frameworked, a little bit right. too, you know, uh, kind of formulaic, a little bit too spreadsheet-ish, a little. Yeah. Little bit, I get that. These two things. And it didn't feel like there was enough emotion there, I think. and. Like, like I, I believe that the energy of life comes from an emotional body that we take care of and 
you know, use in the world. And sometimes that's going to be a scary thing and a, you know, ecstatic thing. And sometimes that's going to be a bit of a sad thing. And we need to kind of, we kind of holding all of that space is really for me living the most vibrant, alive, full life that we can. It's almost a mindfulness actually in the real world. And, and that's not always such an easy thing to withhold and contain, but I was very drawn towards something more along those lines. And I wanted to mix food which I'm, you know, knows I cook amazingly. I'll say that humbly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, just that whole aspect of it and the, the self-love and love of others and the hospitality and the pleasure, the sheer pleasure, uh, but also nourishment in a way that can be super pleasurable. And it's not a tofu burger, right? You know, right. Uh, my mom was a vegetarian. I know what I'm talking about. Oh, so, funny. Uh, and so the other side was this whole entertainment world stuff that had always been involved with one way or another. I mean, you know, I worked at IMAX. It was the tagline was "See more, hear more, feel more." I'm like, okay, right? Right. So it's really about the senses for me. Uh, you know, this became more and more prominent to me that that's how we interpret the world. It's nice to be spiritual and on a quest to grow ourselves, and or to be crushing it all the time and all these things. But what about the actual value of? savoring and appreciating what we're experiencing Mm -hmm. and you know educating our senses so that they don't control us we control them i.e you know addiction or you know being too hedonic you know not that once in a while this range is not great like getting i don't know getting overly drunk eating way too much one night or you know these types of things right Uh, but on the whole that you kind of have this fluid way of going through so i wanted to mix the arts and art performance into what I was doing also. I love artists and I feel that artists are the people that are really following their truth. And I've always said this actually about artists and even I say this about uh, homosexuals, mm-hmm. if that's the politically correct word. I say <laughs> that in, in full, uh, uh, that, you know, homosexuals and all the other sexualities or people who have, uh, who have chosen to externalize and share with the world really who they are. And I'm not saying just on social media, but I mean, in their lives, right, right with their parents sure. and their friends, mm-hmm. that they accept and they, you know, voluntarily do that is a, is a real choice. Same with an artist. I mean, no one forced an artist to be an artist. Right. So when they are, that's like such a huge statement to me. And I really feel through the arts, uh-huh. the sort of somatic way of feeling the world, that we actually can learn a lot about ourselves there's, and we can get a lot of pleasure dancing together, singing together, eating culinary arts together. And so mixing those all together with certain other types of human expansion, let's say, modalities and things, you can come up with something which to me felt like the perfect storm of the different elements that fuse and have made my life, I feel, spectacular. And overall, and I say that humbly because, I mean, I have my days and things also, trust me. Right. Of course, we're it's, all human. You know, yeah. But like in, your, in this choice of actually how you live life and your lifestyle, I've wanted to come up with something that's more about the actual life that we're leading. And it's not about a seminar that I'm in or it's not about a meditation that I'm in. It's actually how in my actual everyday life can I use that as my growth playground? Right. as the place where the challenges I have, that's actually where it's happening. And that's where I should be actually taking care of it and facing it. And, totally. And, you know, it's it's certainly, you know, I, I want to say a bit uh, probably idealistic 
to imagine that every single part of our life can be something that's related to our soul's growth and all these things. On the other side, there's so much of it that that is. And, and we're like going through this training to actually be able to come back into real life right. and take care of that. So I want to overlap these things. And this is why I often talk about pleasure overlapping with purpose leads to performance in life. And the doorway for me is pleasure. I mean, come on, I'm a Leo. That's funny. Oh, <laughs> I'm, a Leo I'm a fire sign. And, and I've always, this is another sort of suggestion I have for people is follow what, you know, brings you pleasure, what satiates you. Right. What satisfies you. I mean, there's a whole new science coming out now about people sometimes are looking for happiness. It's one of the key areas for meaning. And I think the third one is maybe purpose. But now mm-hmm. they're saying that people actually can live a life that's based around satisfaction. Hmm. Right. So I, there's a lot there, I think, that builds a meaningful life. And that pleasure has been given a really bad name and is completely been given this sort of you're either like in pleasure or you're on purpose right like there's no like right middle ground. Like, come together right you know it's it's like an extreme like right. oh my god you know it's like a like a bad word i mean my mom was protestant right so protestant ethic i was gonna think oh, anyway, the, the entertainment the arts and stretching yourself around food and experiences and i'm very very big on just like little by little stretching yourself so that this sort of allergic conditioned reaction we built with so many things in life around fight, uh, flight, or, or freeze, we can start to little by little grow our humanity and the way that we interact with the world. Right. And it starts with your senses. Because mm-hmm. your sense feels something it doesn't like. You taste a, an oyster and the texture, you're like... Oh, I love it? oysters. You know, I, I <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever it is for people, right? right. You know, or tripe or something or, you know, so if you can get yourself to kind of be with things and stretch right. yourself a little and try and find what's, what's valuable there. What, right. But, you know, you think of, you, you think of your friend, the, the lawyer that went out to Mexico, couldn't do it. That was just not, he couldn't do it. Right. So there's an extreme, <laughs> but there's probably, you know, millions of people like that that can't, that are afraid to get out of their box, to afraid to go explore and see what pleasures them. You know, they just are not there yet, which is fine. They're on their journey, right? So when I go through what you've experienced and you have this, these aha moments, I want you to explain them because I, I wrote them down this morning and I was looking at them thinking, we all have those aha moments. I love that you even said that way on your website, like, one aha, second aha, third aha. I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder how many aha moments I've had. A million, <laughs> you know, like, but to really put them out there. And so when you've had your first aha was your, you didn't, your education didn't lead you to have the clarity, right? That was well, your first. Yeah. I mean, it probably led me to have clarity. Led you to have <laughs> my clarity. Fa- my failure led me to clarity. Right. Yes. Is the way I look at it. And then your second aha was sensuality is everywhere concentration abilities. Oh, concentration abilities are improving. So sensuality is everywhere. So you just, second aha was you just realized like sensuality, especially being in Paris, right? Like you started to really discover that. Oh yeah, absolutely. For me, it was this unbelievable uh, sensuous opening connection to the world, seeing how people relate to food, how they prepare it, how they eat it, how they honor it. The pleasure that they get from it is just the way they speak about it, 
and it's poetry. Yeah. Uh, it's absolute poetry and soulful. Uh, it's beauty also. It's extreme beauty, you know, in, right. the, in the food and stuff. And then not talking about the architecture there and just kind of the way of living. I mean, I, I, to me, you know, when you have, you know, five to 10 weeks of holiday per year, that's pretty sensuous to me. <laughs> right. It's, it says something about that life is not just about crushing it, so to speak. You, you right. use your time to go, you know, do lots of things. Um, yes. Contribute your time or to learn something. I mean, you know, there's a million things. Right. So then your third aha uh-huh. was the desire and need to connect. Oh, yeah. That it's everything. What it, tell me that. Where, why did that well, happen? I, mean, I, I, you know, I, I knew nobody when I came to France. And if I didn't start to really know, learn how to connect, and it's, you know, Paris is not an easy place to connect with people. A lot of expatriates go there and they surround themselves with expatriates. Uh, probably sometimes because their kids are going to the same school. Is that, okay, these things are happening. Right. But nonetheless, I never chose to go into that path. I decided to immerse myself with French people, French culture. French friends. I married a French woman. And, you know, I just realized that I had to build everything from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. My whole 22 years and my whole family and my all their friends. And I, like, you know, I knew nobody, nobody in France. So like, if you don't learn about connecting with people and how to do that in a meaningful way and not just uh, something that's short term, I mean, people, they're not looking mostly for, a new, kind of a, a new friend, a new friend, right? Like, like <laughs> right. they're like, are you staying for life? You know, they're right. not just looking to make friends and like spend time with someone who is not going right. to stay for a long time. This is not true necessarily for everybody, but so no, I know, get that. The value of connecting is, you know, this long-term view about building something with somebody. And I'm an extremely loyal person, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm still really close friends with my first French friends made 30 years ago. Oh, neat. I love so, that. Yeah. So your fourth is owning our choices is number one, is our number one responsibility. Owning our choices. Resonates with me today. Yeah. I think probably for a lot of the time growing up, you know, I, I never really felt like I was responsible for my choices. It was kind of my parents or my peers or like the culture or like everyone is in comparison. Like there was all this like delegation of whose responsibility. Right. God, who, so who can I blame? When it goes wrong, right? Yeah, it's not my, I'm not, you know. And so not taking ownership for choosing the path that I chose. Uh And then once on that path, taking ownership for it. Right. Marrying outside of my culture, deciding to stay and live in a country where literally there are, it's like 0.01% of Americans worldwide um, live in France. Okay, so we're talking maybe 100,000 people. But out of 330 million Americans, and probably oh. half of those people are retired people living in the countryside, or you know, right? So I mean, oh, it's, it's, I there's a that. small, small piece of people that are actually have actually made that leap. So you know, it's it's owning that I left my family, that I left mm-hmm. my culture, I left a life that would have been very different, right? And choosing to to start over, and then once here, of course, making the choices that that I made and just realizing that it was the only way that I was going to actually probably get better at making better decisions Mm -hmm. for my own life was to own more the decision. 
Right. You know, I, I teach my girls their, your core values. And I always feel like that helps when you make your choices, right? You know, it's so much quicker. It's like your internal GPS system mm, and that. you're, you know, and you're learning and especially now raising, you know, 14 year old or a 15 and a 12 year old. And, you know, like life is all a choices. When I was reading that, I thought, you know, you got to own it, you own your choices and be proud of the choice because it's a reflection of your values. You know, it's like showing who you really are by making that choice. Like you saying what you just did and made your choice to go outside your box, live somewhere where there's barely any, you know, marry someone from another country, but you owned it and you went with it. And you like, what I feel from you is like, you just took it and you're like, this is, I'm going to embrace it and own it. You know, it's like, when people do that and you see that they're so clear on their values, they're not, you know, when, and you say roaming and I get what you mean. Like, that's, what's so important to roam and see what you like and use your senses and all that. But when you're roaming and you make choices and you know that you own those choices, that's so, so powering. That's so empowering. Like you feel when you have that inside of you at that age too. I mean, what you're probably in your twenties when you were doing that. But you know, when, when I look at raising children, and trying to really empower them to make choice, to understand life is all about choices. We, you know, we're going down this road and there's going to be a why in the road pretty much every time, every day. So what choice are you going to make? Are you going to be proud? Are you going to feel good about it? Are you going to own it? Or are you going to question it and go down here and wonder maybe, and then end up, you know, and then it's like, it's okay, but you'll end up coming back, you know, cause you, those are the lessons. But I just love that because it is, life is about choices but owning it. And that's what I love about that. Thank you for sharing that. The whole FOMO fear of missing out, the whole comparison, it it all relates to that. You know, and and like, I love what you just said, like valuing the choice that you made and working on in with that choice. Right. Make that choice work. Yeah. At some point, maybe it doesn't, but. Right. But you know, as a 20, you know, whatever year old, and you're sifting through life and it's new and you're in a completely different country and you're really owning it, you know, like, and I feel like you're listening to that intuition and you're really delving into, this is what I'm going to do. I've made my choice, right? Like I'm not going to falter. I'm going to do this and I'm going to go all in. Mm. And that's so powerful. And for people to understand in life, when you do make a choice and it is aligned with your values and you go all in, that's where the magic happens in my mind. Like, wow, you did it. And now guess what? You're going to, the next thing's going to come and you're going to do it. It's going to be like, not even a question because if I did that, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then it just laps, you know, just keeps layering and layering and layering. And when I yeah. see the magic in life and when I see, when I see that in somebody, especially now trying to show the girls taking those risks, kicking through, I always call like, I went to a lot, few of Tony Robbins and he always talks about kicking through the door. Like, just do it. You know, what are you waiting for? Say yes. You know, yeah. it's like, go. And once you do it, you, and you make that choice and you're and it's strong in your values, you know, mm. then it's like, wow. And then they just keep layering and layering and that's the magic. But to find that early in life, instead of waiting until you're in your fifties, and can't go on a vacation, <laughs> you know, and relax and enjoy the pleasures of life is why we're here. You know, that's the beauty of that. It's okay. So fifth is your fifth aha moment is relationships are life. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, Esther Perel, who probably a lot of people who are listening have heard of, 
has a great phrase, which is the quality of your relationships is the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't agree more. You know, for me, relationships are the center of everything. And obviously that starts with your relationship with yourself. Uh, but let's really extend that to the relationships that you're in, that you're involved in, and your relationship with others in the world, whether it's your work or you know, the, the cashier at the you know supermarket or whatever. And to not put that at the highest value, you're going to spend your life making up for making up for not having cultivated and taking care of your relationships. As far as I see it, mm-hmm. you take care of the people, everything else is fine. Right. You know, I mean, it's like this great sentence, happy wife, happy life. I mean, come on, you know, right? oh, work funny. on your relationship, right? Exactly. So, uh, so that's always been really, really central to me. And in my professional life, it was, I got things done that no one could know how I could do them. And I didn't know how I did them myself other than such an incredible relationship with people that I could get things done and no one else could. Yeah. And to value that and that's a value is that those are one of your values. And I think it's so great. And that's what people first. Yeah. And catapults things in your life to a different level, you know, when you really value that it's not, you're not, I feel like it always takes you up to the next top of the mountain, you know, when you come up with, I mean, you rise, right. You rise with everyone when you have those strong relationships. I love that. And the sixth aha moment, it's essential to own the leadership of your choices, of our choices. I guess we were talking about that. Yeah. And this is a little bit more just about, you know, you're in the driver's seat, right? You're the one riding the bus. So you need to turn around, you need to stop, you need to jump off, you need to change buses, you need to make a decision to change again. That's the leadership involved in that, right? You can't just suddenly become, after you've made the choice, to become somebody who's sitting in the back of the bus. Yeah. yeah, you've got to be there, present and checking in. And that's a pretty key component. Uh, it is a key component. Um, you know, we can't delegate that again. We can't blame somebody for something that's, you know, you hire somebody to work for you and it's it works for two months and then it doesn't. But you have a six month agreement. I mean, like you got to take ownership for for these types of uh, things or if you have relationships that go sour or whatever. Right. Um, it's not like, always so pleasant, but uh, we've got to just on. take ownership. Yeah, and you move know, do on. things, do things with grace and elegance as much as right. you can. Do your best, and yeah, move on. But you know, you think of, I think of that. I just interviewed somebody about when you're in a relationship or you're in a situation, a job or whatever, and you're in it just because maybe you're not worthy of saying something, or you don't feel I don't want to rock the boat, or you know, all the things that you play like and just live there in misery and to teach people that, wow, if there's something that's not the choice you made, we can change it. You know, you can, you can take the next Y in the road. You can let's Mm -hmm. move. But you know, when you see people living like that and you just want to realize you want them to realize that it's okay. That was a choice right now own it and take leadership. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and no, what I really want to say is take leadership of yourself because most of the time, a lot of stuff that's going on where what we're involved in is coming from us. Yeah, and our, everything. And our, reaction, our right. reaction to that. And I mean, we can work for real jerks in life. And there's not much you can do there sometimes. That happens. But a lot of it, most of the time, is how we're showing up. Yeah. And so taking the leadership and the ownership for that is 
can radically change things, control what we can control, even though it's hard to control ourselves, you know, but right. you know, start with yourself. I mean, I went yes. to spend time with the Dalai Lama and Samjung Rinpoche two years ago in Dharamsala. And at the end, we went there to, for a summit to save the world. At the end, they just said to us, go home and save yourself. Work on yourself. Yes. And you'll save the world by working on yourself. Because totally. the people around you are going to change in your small yes. circle because they're going to see you making the change. And then those people are going to have the same ripple effect. And like these big notions of changing the world on some big scale when people don't start with themselves. Yes, I'm doing a class right now. And we just talked about that this morning about, you know, just if you're in charge of who you are becoming. And they were asking like, well, what if my friends don't agree and they don't, you know, with what I'm doing? Well, they'll either rise to your level or they'll drift off. I mean, it's not bad, but you just, you are your own thing is who you are and who you're becoming is so important to work on and not to worry. I'm not the person like even like in a, in a relationship, right? To try to teach this person, oh, read this book and oh, listen to this podcast and do this and do that. No, be who you are. You listen. I need to read the book and I need to do that. And maybe it'll come off of my body that they'll go, wow, I want to do that. You know, and that's the same thing. Like if we just really take care of ourselves and we really focus on that, so important. And it's all, it's just a reflection. It's a mirror. And I love that because everything in your life is a mirror. And I always wonder like when I have a reaction and I'm really learning that whole, why does that bother me? What is that in me that is showing me, you know, you know, 52 years old. And I'm like, okay, I can see rising and working on myself in this, like learning, gosh, nothing, it's really hard to ruffle my feathers because I'm learning, okay, that's, why would that bother me? That doesn't, there's no reason to react. It would be a reflection of what's going on inside of me. Right, David? Yeah, yeah, a lot of wisdom there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Starts, starts with you and your relationship with yourself. And that's, this goes back to the responsibility piece, right? Like we need to take ownership for that. And it's not about other people, mostly. Uh, You know, there are some people who have a consciousness or an attitude or whatever that are, you know, as much as we want to reflect on them, it's not going to probably do much. But yeah, it's, it's a lot in that space of owning that. And it's not an easy thing to do with yourself. You know, and like people trigger you like the greatest teachers, right? And just to like get your ego, kind of get over that and just kind of be able to give yourself a moment to say, you know, why, like you just said, why does this trigger me? Like, what right. is, what is, what is it inside me that's, that maybe needs a little bit of love or attention or healing in one way or another? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's like even being a parent lately, doing this work, <laughs> like, okay, well, that doesn't really work with me. I don't get want to, I don't know why it's triggering me but she didn't do her homework or something, you know, but I'm trying to really be like this open and learning and saying, okay, let's talk about it. What, you know, it's bothering me because I want, you're my child, you know, trying. so I'm working on that, but you know, you're raising children and trying to learn how to parent without that reaction, you know, and Mm. learning to see they're on their journey, you know, learning that they came through me and they're on their journey and they're learning their lessons. But what am I here to plant seed? You know, what here am I to guide? I need, there's a little guidance there, but guiding in a loving, in a way that empowers them. 
you know, as a mom where you don't disempower, you empower everything about in my mind now. It's like, how do I empower her when that isn't working? You know, like show her the, the, the way to go this way, you know, like, let's do it this way. Right. There's no trigger. They don't yeah. want there to be triggers. Cause I'm just showing them the, that this reaction that I don't want them to learn and take on. Right. That, oh, my mom used to, right. Okay. The seventh is the emotional impact of SED event on participant lives. And I want to go through that because we talk about the aliveness, alivefulness movement is born and it reminds you of who you are naturally. And then you yeah. go through the comfort zone, kind of go through that before we end. And I really want to talk about your book. Sure. Uh, you know, SED actually stands for Sensorial Experience Day. This is the event that I uh, created to gather people around culinary arts and delicious food, live performance artists of all kinds, I've had 80 different kinds that have come to contribute, and also enveloped in a, in a human expansion, soul growth, personal development, whatever you want to call it, kind of a, an experience, but one that's more somatic, embodied, kinetic, social, pleasure-driven. And so, you know, you realize when you get into a space, I'm quite a, a physical person uh, in the sense that, you know, it's almost like a love language. You know, I, I love touch and affection in that way. I love movement, moving my body. So this is dance or exercise or, right. and I feel there's a lot of healing in, in that. And I also feel that through the different way we use our, our senses. So of course, singing is a way of using a sense. Hearing singing is a way of using a sense. Uh-huh. Tasting and eating is, you know, probably the most sensorial thing. I mean, I often say there's really only two things that use all of your senses fully, and probably this is wrong, but it sounds good to me, is, uh, <laughs> is sex or making love uh, and cooking, right? Huh. It uses all of them. Right. Uh, and you really bring them all into play and in into a dance, and it's, it's just a beautiful uh, moment of uh, what I call a lifefulness. It's... It's more than mindfulness. You obviously need to be present. You obviously need to um, be conscious and like you're there, but you need to use your senses and be able to appreciate things. And this is hot, cold, spicy, whatever. And then you also need to kind of be able to give your own value to that and meaning to that. And then at the end of the day, you got to be able to savor it, right? right? And this is sort of the emotional piece, the sensorial piece to feel alive in life. It's not just about having an experience that, you know, we appreciate it's no, but like, do you love it? Right. Right. Like, does this like make your heart light you up? You, does yeah. this light you up? Have you touched something within you that's so much deeper than the superficial layers of conditioning where like you start to cry because it's so beautiful. And you suddenly say, that's me. I found right. myself. I've touched something that because I've been so lost in this thinking, reading, studying, it's like, well, no, let's get into something a little bit driven by pleasure. So you feel safe. Right space that feels safe and that is intentionally built to create a level of focus and awareness around what we're eating, for example. So I will present a dish and explain what's in it, why it's beautiful, set it up in this way, and then ask you to really be present with it, to savor it, to externalize what you're experiencing and share it with the person that you're with. But we're not listening to music at the same time. We're not, you know, dancing, but there's like one thing yeah. after another to just kind of slow down and to amplify what we're actually experiencing to really turn up the volume so we actually start to notice what we have deadened 
in ourselves and put into autopilot and automaticity. And uh, we've gone to sleep in so many ways. We don't see the beauty that's right here around us. Right. You know, I think the last year of 2020, you know, just being in the pandemic has really opened that. I mean, just even having dinners all year together as a family, you know, playing games and Monopoly and all the things that were not even part of our life because it was such a, we were on such a hamster wheel. And I, you know, you look at how you, it's so important to sit there and just look at, wow, you know, this is our moment, living in the moment, right? That's the same. I feel that way because like how you, want people to appreciate it. You know, there's no other music. You're not doing anything, but gosh, talk about it. What does it feel like? You know, I love that. I'll, I'll always think of you when I really met a great dinner and I'm like, Oh, I need to, yeah, deeper, go deeper. Like people would eat, for example, I have so much trouble with this, you know, uh, I'm a little bit of a stickler on this, but like, you know, you'll eat and you'll say, uh, well, you know, how was it? And you'll say, Oh, it was great. Like, so like, can you, Give me three things. Right. Oh, I love the color. I love the the texture of the shrimp. Uh, you know, I love the tanginess of the sauce. You know, like give me three things, sensorial right. things that help you to start to externalize what your senses are experiencing, and you start to develop a an encyclopedia and something that you can come back to and refer to. And you know, otherwise we end up like this terrible term that's used. You know, are you full? Like, what do you mean? Am I full? I'm not a gas tank. Right. Exactly. I'm, I'm satiated. Right. Uh, I've enjoyed my meal tremendously with you. Right. Uh, you know, but I'm full. I mean, like this mechanical word. So there's like language also that plays a part in it to honor and to to make it a ceremony and a ritual. Right. These moments together when you eat together, it's like don't put plastic on your table ever. Like use your best silverware all the time is my way of looking at life. You know, use real napkins that are Right. Or just tissue napkins and things and like have special wings for them. I mean, like, like make the moments of everyday life beautiful and you have a beautiful life. And, and I think you can go to the grave and I hope I go to the grave with this on my grave. It's, you know, no one loved life more than David Brower. No one appreciated and savored the moments and got more out of life, whatever it was, whatever moment it was than me, you know, yes. and, and that's what I'm wishful and you know, sharing with other people to to somehow see the world with a different kind of lens that allows them to get more, um, it's not just get more juice out of the orange, but it's like when you get the juice out, can you appreciate what juice there was? Maybe yeah. there wasn't so much this time, maybe there was more. Um, were you really present to it? Did you appreciate it, savor it? Did you get some value out of it that goes beyond just something superficial, mechanical, transactional? Right. Life yeah. is meant to be something that's sensuous and as a Esther Perel would say, erotic. (laughs) Right. But you know, that's a, I would say that's just a metaphor for everything going in nature, you know, being present, looking around. I mean, I run every morning and I'm looking, I hit see the birds or I look at the trees Mm -hmm. and, you know, and smelling the air and, you know, what, and seeing the dog, you know, my dogs, but to be present in everything, you know, like, but it just, I think if people see life that way, I mean, I, so as a mom and I'm an older, you know, I had children later in life and I look at, I've looked at their childhood, like now, you know, Presley's 12 and Paige just turned 15. Like we're at the end of that childhood. Right. But do I look back and know that, ah, I savored, I savored it to a core, like that orange, that every drop I did. And I just think, thank you, God, that I did that. Cause I look and think, ah, 
how fast does that go? It goes so fast. When people said that to me at the beginning, I'm like, oh, sure. Now here I am telling people at the grocery store, uh, that little baby in that thing, it goes by so fast. <laughs> <Save it a laughs> moment. <laughs> you love the crying and I don't care. I just love it. But oh, that's the link. I just feel like the metaphor for life is what you believe in and what you're so passionate about. And I want to really talk about your book because we're at the end and I want you to, it's beautiful. I know it just came out on Audible. What I've read, I listened to excerpt on, I think, YouTube, just the whole thing. And it's beautiful. And talk about it. Thank you. And where it came from. Here it is. It's called Dance of the Love Caterpillars. You can see that. There I can see it. Um, It's got beautiful illustrations and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it to, you know, serve as a reminder of myself going through the trauma that I'd gone through that, you know, life is a beautiful thing and to come back to trusting it, come back to loving it again and again and again through the ups and downs of whatever we go through in our lives. And that serendipity can suddenly arrive, uh, you know, good, bad, or ugly way, but let's say potentially it can be a good way when you've gone through something challenging like I did. And this allegorical story, which is really for romantics of all ages, but let's say 15 and above, even though people are reading to their children or listening to the audio, which is really beautiful, you know, is, is giving the idea and the message that, you know, you can always start again and believe again in your more than just your salvation, but getting back to really trusting and loving life again and overall savoring the moments. Uh, because we just don't know what comes next. Right. Uh, there's so many things that can happen in life. I mean, every day I'm hearing about people in my entourage having, you know, gosh, just three days ago, literally, a dear friend of mine in Paris, her two parents passed away the same day. Oh, my because gosh. Of, because of COVID. The oh. same day. Oh. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's like such the cliche and I'm certainly not somebody who wants to lean on, think about your death so that it'll promote you to live. No. But I'm really the carrot. I'm the pleasure guy who says, find the pleasure, you know, yeah. even in a cold shower, uh, find the pleasure in, you know, struggling up the mountain while you're hiking and you're breathing, you know, it's like, cause I mean, we're alive. Exactly. And we have this opportunity. And even if those around us pass, even if, trauma happens to ourselves, let us find the resourcefulness within us to, to really love life and be engaged in life again and not feel sorry for ourselves and not fall into self-pity and not be so negative because we can have a, you know, this negative bias that we have. And I, you know, a lot of ways through my life, even I'm a very buoyant person. I've struggled with anxiety and negative thoughts and, you know, dealing with failure or self-esteem issues, or I was a really small kid. And so, you know, we all go through what Mm -hmm. we go through. And the question is, how can we actually rise above and and continue again and again and again to start over on the path to to loving life again? Right. I love that. Thank you so much, David. I don't want it to end, but we're at the end. Where can people find you? They can buy your book on Amazon. I know that. Yeah, you can buy the book and the audio book, both on Amazon uh, is easily found. And otherwise, you can find me at uh, davidbrower.com, D A V I D B R O W E R.com. Also, alivefulness.com. That's probably the great place to find me. I'm very active on Facebook and on Instagram. 
Oh, and you, you can find me at, at the sensorial guy, of course, okay. on, oh, on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Where are you at? What's your next adventure? What are you gonna What are you gonna create? Well, I'm already hesitant to talk about what I'm creating. I'd like to create it to then talk about it. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to share <laughs> to complete it, but obviously, as you can hear, uh, I'm very much um, focused on savoring and what I call sensorial intelligence and. My idea is to be, a, you know, a, a significant contributor in that space, uh, that perspective around the world. Uh, so creating stuff that's, you know, supporting uh, that. And of course, you know, this is what I bring into the life coaching that I do with people and groups and, and stuff like that. Well, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for reaching out. And I have a friend in Paris now. <laughs> That's pretty sexy. <laughs> that is pretty Thanks, sexy. Ashley. So romantic. <laughs> so romantic. There we go. Oh, thank you, David. Thanks so much, Ashley. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, Please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, always look for the magic.